What up, witches? Thank you for downloading our podcast. This is our review for the seventh episode of American Horror Story Coven called The Dead, which seems to be a crossover episode from the CW. But how fun would it be to hit the drive through late night with your homegirls Queenie and Delphine? Now there's a band name. Don't forget we're on Facebook, facebook.com slash This American Horror Story Podcast, and we're on iTunes. All right, here we go. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story. An unofficial podcast about the hit show, American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host... Chris Houston. What's up, buddy? Not much, man. Uh, we're only a week away from Thanksgiving holiday. Looking forward to a two-and-a-half-day work week for me next week. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm taking Tuesday evening... I fly back Tuesday evening to California to see my family that night, and I'm there till Sunday. So I'm, I'm, I'm excited, too. So I'm only working a day and a half next week. Mm, nice. Vacation That is means wonderful. this week sucks, though. Uh, I know. There's always a lot of stuff you have to cram in before the holiday, but once the weekend hits, you're kind of home free. Because really, who really yeah. works on a holiday week? Even are you if drink- you are working, are you really working? Um, yeah. Are, are people going to be like, yeah, dude, I work. <laughs> Not us journalists. <laughs> yeah. uh, this I remember this from last year, though. Um, this episode last year, the one right before Thanksgiving, a lot of people downloaded because just like me, and I, I'm, I'm curious if you do this too, I, I load up on podcasts when I fly or oh, yeah. travel mm-hmm. anywhere. So if we're getting any new listeners on this one, welcome. And this is the best podcast you'll ever listen to. Maybe. Ah. Hopefully so. Yes, absolutely. Forget welcome. Nerdist. Forget This American Life. This American Just Horror Story. They're great. They are. It's great. about This American <laughs> Horror Story. Woo! Anyway, what are you drinking? Tonight I am drinking Left Hand Milk Stout. It is a nice nightcap. Uh, nice dark brew. How about you? Come on, man. After that episode, I had to pour myself some bourbon. I mean, Fiona and Axman were totally getting down with the bourbon, so I have a uh, some uh, Breckenridge bourbon neat, mm-hmm. just oh, like nice. Fiona. Dun, 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 dun. Excellent. <laughs> uh, before we jump in, of course, we want to remind everybody to check us out on Facebook at This American Horror Story Podcast, to continue emailing us at um, thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. And Chris, I think you had something you wanted to mention from one of our more recent emails. Right, yeah. Holly sent us uh, an email, and we've been speculating on who who was the person or whatever, whoever it was, that threw acid on Cordelia's face. And we've gone through everyone from people thinking it actually was Myrtle to one of uh, Marie Laveau's minions, perhaps, or Marie Laveau herself. We were trying to figure this out, but Holly emails us and says, Hey, guys, I love your show. You guys do a great job. Oh, thank you. I have a theory that I don't think is at all possible, but it's just a fun thought. I was thinking, what if it was Joan, Patty Lapone's character, that threw the acid in Cordelia's face? I, it could be that they're from the same religious group that burned Misty, and they know that the house is full of witches. Again, I don't think it will turn out that way. I just think it would be fun to have a villain as Patty Lapone. Can't wait for the next episode of both the show and the podcast. Take care, Holly. Holly, that is brilliant. I think I hadn't thought about this, but I think that's that is 
I mean, come on. We have, we have Patty Lapone just sitting next door. We've seen her once. She's too big of a name to just have a cameo like that. That would, she she totally is po- uh, poised to be a, a possible villain uh, against Cordelia and um, the the Coven and um, Fiona. Don't you think? I absolutely agree. I think that that is a genius theory because I don't know. I can't believe we hadn't considered her before because you're absolutely right. You we forget have this about her. Enormous talent who was in the show for a total of seven, eight minutes so far, maybe maybe not even, which is ridiculous. So you know she's coming back, and she has to have a bigger role than just grumpy mom because Nan is hanging with her son or whatever. So I absolutely yep. agree that I think that it's Patty Lapone who is out to kill the witches. So I think that is an ingenious idea. Um, so once again, thank you for that email. And also I want to thank uh, Shirley from Brexville, Ohio, for a couple... Um, Corrections kind of from last episode. She uh, informed us that the witch who played Millie from the early 1900s, the one who kind of orchestrated the murder of the Axeman in last episode, is actually Meryl Streep's daughter, Grace Gummer, which I knew I recognized her you from somewhere. You knew that, that, but you couldn't remember, right? That's right. That girl plays, um, she's on She's on Newsroom, and I couldn't I couldn't place her until now, and I don't know if I even knew it was Meryl Streep's daughter, but you can, I can see the resemblance now that... Totally. Uh, uh, Shirley told us about that. Also, Shirley reminded me that it was Audrey Hepburn in Wait, the Wait Until Dark, the movie about the blind woman being harassed by dudes. Not Catherine Hepburn. Not Catherine. How so, dare you my bad. Audrey, not Catherine. I know. I need to get my Hepburns right. Anyway, uh, one more thing I want to inform everybody of is that we are now on the Stitcher app. And so you can check us out there if uh, you're into streaming audio from Stitcher. Stitcher's really cool. Um, they can do customized podcast type stuff for you and it's pretty great. So, um, if you prefer, check us out on the Stitcher app. But, uh, without further ado, I say let's go ahead and jump right into this episode. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. Well, we kind of, um, I kind of broke this episode down into three main storylines. We kind of have the Zoe Kyle Madison storyline. We've got the Queenie LaLaurie Laveau storyline, and we kind of have the Fiona Axeman storyline. I want to go ahead and start out with the Zoe storyline. Um, I can, uh, you, I'm sure you can already guess how I feel about this storyline with before I even say right. anything. Well, we 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 cold open with uh, our best friend Kyle. Back in the days before he was uh, a Frankenstein. Oh, Kyle, I don't know that I liked you any better with your terrible accent back when you were just a frat boy. <laughs> but he's at this tattoo parlor singing Toto. Or Toto. Rocking out to Toto, which, yeah. okay, that's like the one forgivable thing is that he's a Toto fan, which I can yeah. kind of rock out to. Which you totally have to end this podcast with a Toto song, is what I was going to say. <laughs> Done. Um, but... He kind of gives this whole speech to his friends because they're all talking about living for the moment and getting tattoos and stuff. And he basically is saying how he came from the levees after Katrina and he wants to be an engineer and he has all these big dreams. And how with tattoos, he's never going to be able to meet them. You know, he wants to be a serious figure when he's an engineer building up the levees and meets the mayor of New Orleans. Right. Well, then we cut to modern day Kyle, Kyle Stein, Frank and Kyle. Mm-hmm. Um who's chained up, of course, still in Cordelia's garden, and he notices all, he has all his friends' tattoos on his body. So, what did what, what did you think this represented? I mean, they introduced the idea of regret and not having regrets, and, you know, one of the guys, his tattoo means beginning and end, and he kind of tries to translate it into some type of a carpe diem, 
um, uh, live right goddamn now. Life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and I, that kind of sets up one side of our, of, of our theme, I think for this episode is, you know, especially because this episode is called the dead. Uh, so we focus a lot on this part on the people who died, meaning Madison and Kyle and they have a moment later on and Axeman and, and LaLaurie who are all dead. Really? Right, right, right. But Madison and Kyle, they're dealing with this, like, you know, were you happier when you were dead? Did you see a light? You know, is, is, and Madison later on says she feels more empty he, re, having returned than she was when she was dead. So I, I think that this is just setting that, um, that theme up for us. The way it's done, this is probably my least favorite cold open they've done just because the dialogue and the acting is so stereotypical and cliche. And I, I know it's some, you're supposed to kind of, they're good at, Falchuk and Murphy are really good. And Brad Falchuk wrote this episode, by the way. Um, they're good at being campy and silly and over the top. But this was almost like you watched all the college movies and saw what frat boys were like and decided to write based on that. I, I mean, I'm not trying to hate too hard because it is American Horror Story and we're trying to have fun with it. But like, the, they just made these guys out to be the douchiest one-dimensional characters ever, including Kyle. He gives his little speech about how, like you said, he wants to be this uh, knight in shining armor. But the way they set it up and with the whole tattoo thing, I think that's only just to show us that he is still made up of different body parts. I don't know. I wasn't really sold on this whole scene. What did you, what did you think? I agree. I don't like how they made him seem kind of like a boy scout, essentially. Um, very like, I totally agree. One dimensional. Um, all the characters in the scene one dimensional definitely was not my favorite opening sequence i did kind of like the transition from him, all of the, his friends having tattoos to him having you all knew that his was friends tattoos happen, i kind of i i i was i was playing stupid apparently because i didn't see it coming uh, so i really enjoyed it when all of a sudden he was transitioning to him looking at the clover on his arm yeah. <laughs> i thought that was i thought that was kind of cool transition um do you think that when he noticed the tattoos he's more sad about his friends being dead or is he more sad about the fact that like his future the future he'd imagined for himself is basically representing that it's no you know it's a representation that it's no longer possible yeah, obviously I, him being a frankenstein he's not going to be an engineer rebuilding the levees anyway but you know i is that what the tattoos are supposed to represent i, I think it was that is part of it him you know come to this realization that he won't ever have this life um that he wanted mm-hmm. and then i think the other part is those tattoos are reminding him just like when his mom started touching him again. They're remind it's reminding it's get, his memories are coming back to him. So he's it's also showing us that he's becoming more of a person again and not just this monster. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I agree with that part too. And of course, Zoe comes in with a gun. She's going to kill him um, and kind of end. Come his on, pain. That, that was like really I don't know. Uh, but he very quickly she's kind of having trouble getting herself to do it. He kind of freaks out, rips the gun from her hand just to put it in his own mouth to kind of speed up the process, I guess. And she can't, she won't let him do it. She rips it away from him and wants to keep him alive. So he so, shouldn't let him do it. That's mean. I just have no investment in this relationship at all. I don't care about them at all. I I don't either. I, I especially, I mean, I care about Zoe kind of as an individual, but I don't. I, 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 this relationship. 
I like Zoe. I like Zoe especially yeah. now that she's become kind of badass and embracing her yeah. powers and stuff like that. Totally. Like how, how cool was she in the zombie episode when, with that? Oh, with the, I loved um, her. Chainsaw. That was yeah. awesome. I just, the Kyle character is driving me crazy. And I felt like we were taking a very small step forward towards something in this episode. But he needs to start talking again and everything and stop being like a primate because, frankly, that's just getting old. It is. It's the only the closest thing we have to kind of a traditional romance blossoming in this. I mean, the other ones we have is Axeman, but that's not. I mean, that's not something that we're like, ooh, like. Well, they take, but they take some serious deviations from traditional romance story as this episode goes on. Right. But speaking it, of right, this. But I'm saying, yeah, this is the one that's the closest thing that we've got, and it's the one that you probably should be rooting for because we're not rooting for. I guess maybe you kind of could be rooting for Cordelia and Hank, even though he's a witch hunter. He's he's having his issues with it, but I mean Zoe and Kyle are supposed to be the ones that we're like, yeah, we're on board with. Yeah, but I can't get I I I'm on board with every other relationship on this show besides theirs. Mm-hmm. Well, so speaking of how the relationship kind of deviates from this Romeo and Juliet forbidden relationship, you know, innocent thing going on here. Uh, Madison, we have her monologuing. Um, more talk about social media, which keeps jumping back up. We've kind of talked about this in the past that we just think it's like, I mean, they obviously reference modern technology a lot as maybe modern day witchcraft. I think we've kind of theorized. Um, she talks about millennials as a generation, makes some generalizations about how this generation never wants to grow up and that their defining trait is a numbness to the world. Mm -hmm. And that, so... Here's a question different. for you. Mm-hmm. Is Madison, like, post-mortem Madison, this is, you know, basically dead, unfeeling Madison, supposed to be representative of the whole generation of millennials? Is um, she a symbol? I think, she, well, she's obviously being more introspective here about her life now that she's returned from the dead and she is obviously depressed. We see her popping pills and drinking and... And it is probably somewhat of a commentary on millennials trying to feel something. As she said, growing up, um, they all received, I mean, we could say we all, because we are essentially kind of grouped into this, um, are all, they all received trophies growing up and they just want to feel something. They just want to feel something. I think it's just magnified through her now because she's, she, she doesn't have any shits to give anymore. You know, she's not alive, so she doesn't exist, so she can do whatever she wants, and she is doing whatever she wants. I, I do want to point out that I was getting major vibes of Brett Easton Ellis um, in her monologue here with this kind of stream of conscious uh, that she's going through when she's trying to describe how she needs to feel something. It was, I totally felt that. Anyway, yeah. what, do, what do you think? Um, I No, I definitely agree with that, and I think that they are trying to... We had kind of talked before about how Madison seemed a little bit flat, I think, before she died. Um, she was kind of a type, really. Um, and we kind of, I mean, we appreciated her kind of sarcastic bitchiness. But she, uh, I mean, obviously she had some terrible things happen to her. But she was a little bit one-dimensional, not that interesting. And I think that now they're trying to make her more of a, uh, more of a symbol through this whole not being able to feel thing and maybe make her more relatable as we kind of, you know, she struggles to 
Right. Escape her numbness, I guess. We were already starting to like her right before she died anyway, that episode with uh, Fiona. I mean, she's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was, she's a very interesting character. It's going to be, again, interesting to see how she evolves now that she's dead and has this more clarity on life, I guess. Well, and here's something interesting that I was going to wonder if, if you made this connection. When she's burning her palm and she's getting, like, in the middle, mm-hmm. were you thinking, like, stigmata kind of thing going on there? Uh, I wasn't. I mean, but once you started burning the said burning her palm, I was like, oh yeah, I guess. But I don't know how that would relate to. I mean, she's her. died and has risen. Oh I mean, right, I right. Know. Yeah, there you go. There it is. That makes sense. Good one. I I, 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 I doubt that they went there. Uh, maybe they were. Maybe they're smart enough to do that. That's kind of cool. But because you see people doing that anyway, playing with fire over their hands, and she, the fact that it burned the palm. Maybe I like that. Let's go anyway. with yes. Sure. Um, so, anyway, I want to talk about then how um, we have Cordelia gets a call from Hank. Because these stories all intertwine kind of at this point. Well, at least the Cordelia storyline. We don't see a whole lot of her in this episode, but just a couple moments. She gets a call from Hank, and this is the only point in which we see Hank in this episode, where... He is just—he's calling to tell him he misses her, but he's—we see that he's just getting drunk and pretty much loading up his military yeah. arsenal here. Of, he's wrestling with it. Is yeah, is all I could really get out of that. But he's gonna try to go through with it. So he's got a lot of guns. I'm glad we didn't spend time with him though. Yeah, he's got a lot of guns. I want to know what in particular makes him a successful witch hunter because from. The way it seems so far, these witches are... I mean, obviously, I'm sure they're impervious. You know, I'm sure that bullets can kill them and stuff like that. But their powers are as such that death doesn't mean a whole lot to them and stuff. I would think that, you know, someone with the powers of Zoe or Fiona, these kind of Supremes, would pretty much be able to take him down pretty quick. So I guess we'll see. Uh, maybe maybe it's the art of surprise that that is how he's been killing people. That's how he killed that... Um, girl last episode we found out so cordelia then kind of stumbles into the hall into madison who she has she didn't even know madison was still alive but of course she grasps madison and sees everything that's happened up till now and so she that's how she gets informed on the whole fiona deal um so of course she goes to call zoe in to inform zoe that they're going to kill fiona Basically, is that where are the plan's going? Um, what did you think about this scene? Because Cordelia's a whole different person here. Not only is she blind, but she's pouring whiskey in her coffee or drinking out a coffee mug, it looks like. She's pulling her out a tea. flask. In her tea. Oh, yeah. Hmm, I don't know how that would taste. She's pouring whiskey in her tea, but before she was very straight-laced, and now it's kind of like... Yeah. I mean, she tells, she tells Zoe, listen, I mean, she knows who killed Madison, and Zoe's like, no one knows. Even Madison doesn't know. And she's like, no, I know. I, I can see now. Uh, and she says, you know, you have some strong powers, which means you have a big target on your back. When Fiona thought that Madison was the, the Supreme, she took care of her. And now that you're getting these powers, it doesn't even matter if, if you think Fiona's on your side. She will come for you and take you out. So I think Cordelia just needed this to finally decide how she feels about her mother. And she sees mm. her mother's taking out people in the coven. She knows she needs to put an end to that. And as we know, set, sets a plan in motion with uh, Zoe that we need to kill my mother. 
do you think that the transformation in uh, Cordelia was propelled by this revelation about Fiona, or was it propelled by her whole becoming blind and having this new power? Because clearly she's changed. Now she, she yeah. before she was very um, kind of uptight and everything, and now she's kind of become a badass. I would say. Uh, I, I think a little bit of both. Seems for the better. Yeah. But definitely because she knows that Fiona killed Madison, who, even though Cordelia had her issues with Madison and all the other girls, she was she was their protector. She was looking out for them. And, and mm-hmm. one of those girls died at the hands of her mother. So I, I think I think she wants to, uh, you know, take her out, take Fiona out completely because of what she did. But she's strong enough to do that now because of the new power. Well, and now let's keep in mind that when they did that thing at the bar, right before Fiona got her eyes burned out with the three questions, Fiona swore to Cordelia that she did not kill Madison. Right. So, I mean, Fiona couldn't have lied, obviously, more blatantly to Cordelia. So why would Cordelia trust Fiona at this point? This is the other theme I thought was in the episode for the other half. But Fiona was in both of these, I think. Uh, People searching for something to feel. Meaning mm-hmm. Madison trying to feel something, Kyle trying to feel something, and Fiona, even though she's alive, trying to feel something, and she's trying to feel love and sex or whatnot. The other, the other one that um, Cordelia is bringing up now, theme I think is, you know, how can you forgive someone for doing something completely awful? And we see that with Cordelia dealing with the knowledge of her mother killing Madison, and, and we Hank. have and Hank, and we have Lulari and uh, Queenie. Queenie trying to that that friendship and you know can you be friends after knowing how evil someone has been? You know well, that's how a good far point. Can you be? I, redemption, like is redemption possible? Yeah. And Zoe and Spalding. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that, you're right. I think that is definitely a theme in this episode, and we see it kind of manifest in a lot of different ways. And thus far, I would say the answer is no. <laughs> you can't. I mean, well, yeah, but like, we, yeah. Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. We'll, we'll talk more about it. Yeah. So, okay. In the meantime, Zoe and or, uh, Kyle... Well, teaching Coco, the, the gorilla, how to do sign language. Right. Before Madison comes to bring bring her to talk to Cordelia, she's teaching Kyle how to do... Flashcards. Flashcards of food and stuff like that. And he's upset. Um, he, she says that he's just stuck in his head. You know, he knows all the words, but he just can't articulate them. He's starting to kind of form words a little bit. Kind of uh, like a stroke victim, basically, it sounds like. Where you know what the thoughts are in your head, but you're... You can't bring your, you know, your mouth and your vocal cords to form the words correctly. There's just something in your brain that's not quite working. So that's kind of what I thought of it as is similar to, you know, someone who suffered from a stroke. He gets really frustrated and is throwing all sorts of stuff around. Madison comes in to send Zoe or to send Zoe to go talk to Cordelia, and Madison and Kyle have a moment where they um, connect because they both know what it's like to be dead. They talk about there being kind of no light on the other side, that it's just emptiness, that it's just kind of sleep. But they feel more empty, at least Madison feels more empty, being back alive now than she did when she She was was actually dead. dead. So basically she's saying she'd rather be dead and not know, you know, not feel anything but not be aware of her not feeling anything than to be alive and be aware of of this this numbness that she discussed before. Um, and they kind of they comfort each other. I thought when they were comforting each other that it was just going to end there and it was going to be kind of sweet. Oh, Did you no, see what I was knew, coming next? Oh yeah, I saw that coming for sure. There, I mean, yeah, totally. Madison's still Madison. So in slow motion, Zoe walks back in and walks in on Kyle and Kyle Butt again. 
Kyle, yep, Kyle banging Madison. And so I guess we know that even though Kyle can't form words, we've seen he can still have sex, whether it's with his mother or Madison. But he maybe just needed a, that bonding moment to get through it, and Zoe couldn't provide that. Yeah, maybe. Uh, so do you think that this just really disturbed Zoe when she walks in on this? She handles it well. <laughs> yeah, of course it did, yeah. But she's confused anyway, because, I mean, as we see down the road. She, she, yeah, well, clearly it's a tough situation. Yeah. Yeah, she brought him back because she liked him so much, and then when she brought him back, she just tried to kill him like 10 minutes ago. It's just, well, she's, she's tried to kill him a couple times. Remember, we we hypothesized that she put rat poison in his cereal, and then he ran out Oh, yeah, I don't think that actually ever happened, though. I mean, well, that, it was, that, that was, it was unclear. It was unclear. Yeah. Uh, Zoe goes and wakes up Spalding. This is part of the whole plot to kill Fiona. Um, she has him tied to a bed in a weird kimono bathrobe upstairs. Um, and he can talk. And we see the ceremony in which she brought his tongue back to life, which is kind of disgusting. How but did I guess she learn all these spells and magic tricks all of a sudden, these recipes? I mean... Is she, well, like, she... secretly studying somewhere? Because, as we've seen, there's clearly no classes being taught at this play, at this coven. Well, it's clearly she's been reading or studying something, and I, I, like I assume Hermione? that the... Yeah, well, On her own time? I guess. I mean, I I assume that we're, like, skipping over the part where they're actually learning witchy lessons. It'd be because nice if we have one to be scene to know that that happens, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, I wish they would fit that in a little bit instead of this is just... Instead, it's just like a halfway house for witches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but she must be pulling her mind. This is <laughs> the easiest school time. ever. <laughs> but apparently she's excelling because she knows how to do all these uh, awesome spells, like bringing dead tongues back to life. And she puts it back in Spalding's mouth. It's Let's remind everybody that it's the enchanted tongue that Myrtle Snow had enchanted years and years before. So he still has to stay the truth once it's back in there. And so she interrogates Spalding and pretty much forces him into confessing that Fiona was the one that killed Madison. Dennis O'Hare does a really good job in this scene, too, I think. He was great. It's oh, nice I thought he was talking again. <laughs> oh, I know. He did an excellent job, I thought, and his, like, when he was like testing out his new tongue again and like moving it around in his mouth and stuff. Yeah. It was gross, but was I creepy, thought it was, very, it was great. Yeah. It was very convincing. It was very convincing. I thought he did an awesome job. Um, but she gets pissed. And well, no, I mean, so she she finds out the truth, then she she stabs him, she kills him. Spalding yeah, is be- dead. Do you think? We, as we've known, I mean, people don't typically stay dead. What do you think? Is Spalding dead for good? No, no, no one dies in this show. <laughs> no one <gasps> dies. I don't know, man. I think that maybe he will be. I think maybe he'll be dead. But his name is in the credits, and we're only halfway through the season. I know. You're right. He's probably coming back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. He, we we see more of um, Laveau and uh, Queenie, and they're not even in the credits. Uh, no, Gabrielle Sidibe is. I saw her in this. Oh, she is credits. now. Oh, yeah. So Angela Bassett might be too. I wasn't paying attention. They might have added oh. them later. They must have because they're yeah. They should be in there anyway. Well, even Danny Houston was in the credits for this one, so I think maybe. Oh really? Oh, mm-hmm. huh. Okay, good. So why? Do, I mean, why do you think that she killed him? I don't know. That 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 it really surprised me. I I was excited that she had the balls to go out or the ovaries or whatever to go after uh, Spalding and get the truth because she she's on a mission now. She's definitely uh, coming into her own as a leader and uh, as an independent woman. 
But to go and kill him like that, that's something that is a little too... It seems a little out of character or too evil for her. You know, if we're supposed to like her as our heroine in this uh, this show, it, it seems a little too extreme and a little too across the line that for her to already be at this point. So she's, she's evolving so quickly. I, I I don't know. I hope there's something else behind it. Like there's a reason why she did it. Like it's part of a new spell that she's doing where she's going to learn something or help him or I, I don't know. I have no idea. What do you think? Well, my only guess really was that, I mean, because he is obviously a Fiona supporter, to the extreme, to the absolute extreme, to the point that he would cut his own tongue out. He would do anything for Fiona. Right. So if they're trying to kill Fiona, even if he's restrained, I mean, there's a chance, you know, who knows if Fiona releases him or something. He would come to Fiona's aid at the snap of her fingers, yeah. you know. And if he's Fiona's only ally, and, and, I mean, and yeah. he has the potential to hinder their plan somehow to get rid of Fiona then I guess she figures they need to get rid of him. Um, so it makes sense in that logical way. But at the same time, I agree with you. It's kind of, it's definitely ruthless of her. It's something we haven't really seen in her character. But like you said, she's evolving very fast. We see her being more brutal. We see her doing more magic than we did before. And we see her evolving sexually, I guess, in ways we didn't expect to see either. So I mean, she's kind of getting little hints of and shades of uh, Fiona, young Fiona. Mm-hmm. That's a really good point. She is. She's. She is getting hints and shades of young Fiona. Um, so let's talk about this final scene with Zoe and company here. Um, she's in the shower. There's been a lot of scenes in the shower uh, this uh, this season. We have Madison crying in the shower after what happened at the frat house. We have Kyle getting coming out of the shower molested as soon as he comes out of the shower. And now we have Zoe coming out of the shower to Madison. Madison and. The Madison kind of confronts Zoe about Kyle, um, puts her kind of in an awkward situation, saying that she's she's not letting Kyle go. She hasn't felt anything since she came back, except when she was with Kyle. But she wants to share Kyle. And at this point in time, I don't know about you, but I was like, oh, I know. Here please, we go. Please, please CW. tell me this isn't. Please tell me this isn't going to happen. Yeah, is this the CW? Please tell me this isn't going to happen. And. It happened. We had Frank and Kyle, Zombie Madison, which is OE three way. <laughs> what was your take on this? I I don't know. I I thought again. I thought I was watching, you know, Gossip Girl and The OC and Dawson's Creek and all of that wrapped into one, just with weird supernatural characters. I don't. I don't like it. But I mean, I hope there's a purpose. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm too old and prude for that. But uh, it was just. It was weird. I mean, the the one thing that it gives us, I think I'm eager to see if she does kill Kyle with her Noonie um, or how that works out. But I I don't know. Again, I'm not interested in this teenage drama. (laughs) I don't think so. I think that's the reason they had Madison point out that Kyle's different and won't die because of that. Mm -hmm. Um, I I guess maybe it was a device just to, like, turn the classic love, you know, because we had seen these as kind of semi-innocent lovers. Obviously, Kyle had had some really terrible stuff happen to him and killed his mom, but, like, they're still kind of star-crossed lovers in in a way. We had that Romeo and Juliet moment we talked about at the beginning, kind of referencing the Baz Luhrmann Romeo and Juliet back at the frat party, kind of. Um, So we made those connections before, and now it's kind of taking that traditional star-crossed lovers... uh, 
plot and turning it on its head a little bit. So maybe that was just a device to shake things up from the traditional model. Uh, I'm going to say that's what it was because otherwise I didn't like it. So I want to give it some kind of justification. But without further ado, let's let's push that storyline off to the side and jump right into Fiona and Axeman. Um, as we kind of saw brewing at the beginning of last episode, uh, the Axeman had showed up at the bar and was hitting on Fiona. And they he takes her home with him to an apartment. When I first yeah. saw this, I was like, how the hell did he get an apartment? Well, we find out pretty quickly. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wrote that too. I was like, whose apartment is this? Also, it's very uh, um, film noir. It is very film noir. I thought the same I thing. Yes, it. the way they felt. I thought it was very cool. Also, Axeman quotes As I Lay Dying by William Faulkner, mm-hmm. which is, um, you know, this the what's the dead? That's what this whole f- episode is thinking right. about. So that was very relevant. The, it's a story about a woman who is dying and then dies, I believe, but it's like her family transporting her in a coffin to, I don't remember if she's, at what point she dies, but they're transferring this woman to, or their mother to her burial ground or something, so very relevant to this story, obviously. Axeman Um, also, who comes with his own soundtrack wherever he goes. Pretty sexy soundtrack. It's (laughs) amazing, I love it. No wonder he has that power to seduce women like nobody's business. Yeah. Um... We find out pretty quickly that the axe man he got this apartment just from killing some guy and putting his body in the bathtub. So that was he, cool he could have he could have at least killed a guy with a nicer apartment, right? It's kind of gross. There's a roach in the sink and everything. But yeah, we have that moment where Fiona goes in the bathroom, her hair is falling out, so she's kind of freaking out, and then the camera kind of moves over the shower curtain. Once again, we're looking in the shower and we see the dead body in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of get the you know it ends right here before it goes to commercial, and we kind of get the feeling that Fiona. I uh, didn't see this, but of course we find out later that that she did. She's aware she's, of what he is. She's not dumb. So, because yeah. we were kind of, I don't know, we were a little bit worried about her at the end of last episode. I felt like sure. it was like she knows what she's getting into. Yeah, for the most part. Well, it's kind of knows. So they have sex and everything. He seduces her. Um, their love is so passionate it breaks all the lights in the place. <laughs> <laughs> Next morning, she kind of gets up and tries to leave and says, you know, I've destroyed all these relationships. I'm a bad person. I destroyed my relationship with my daughter and three husbands. And he says, you know, I've watched you for forever and love transforms. And I've loved you since you were eight years old. And she's kind of like, what the what? What's going on here? Right. And we have these flashbacks to him being this creepy voyeur since she was a child, watching her grow up and basically interfering in her life in the mansion at Miss Robish house. I mean, he says that he saw her as a daughter at one point and that, um, you know, when she's getting picked on by this girl, he he knocks over a shelf on this girl. I don't know if that's supposed to imply that she was killed or just severely injured. But either either way, he's like kind of the evil spirit. She was a bully. But in some ways, you know, he might have inspired this kind of, or, or like made Fiona think that she kind of had these dark powers manifest in her that she couldn't control. Right. So you kind of wonder how much he might have influenced her as a kid. Right. I do want to point out also from that moment when she realizes, she asks him, wait, that was you? I thought it was me this whole time. Like you said, that probably helped spark something in her thinking she was a lot more powerful and gave her that attitude of superiority. Um, moving from there to the bed scene and then all the transitions from her getting up out of the bed and then walking, taking her clothes off and walking to the mirror and putting the clothes on the mirror. Yeah. The heels on and walking 
just seeing her age through that and seeing him, the Axeman, kind of watching her. And as you said, go from seeing her as someone who is his daughter to someone he is in love with. Which is a creepy, whole creepy transition. Also, like, Axeman's kind of creepy overall. I mean, this yeah. whole Very monologue witty, he gives Allen, about... This whole monologue he gives about his axe. <laughs> yeah. But the whole... Or his his sex. Sorry. The whole monologue he gives... He, he gives his that line was about... sexy. Like, Woo! Oh, the way my lips and tongue wrap around my instrument. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a little overkill. It was getting hot in there. <laughs> but his, his smooth jazz music was playing, and that's how he seduced her. But he gives this whole... Um, you know speech about how everyone else thought she was this ruthless manipulator and he saw so much more in her let's keep in mind though that he's a serial killer right so no wonder he was seen the light in her he says she gave a meaning in his life and as well as Mm -hmm. dead life (laughs) well we talked and that's what this episode is about Mm -hmm. is finding purpose in your life and for that for him fiona gave him that purpose um just watching her every day and watching her grow and i guess kind of being involved in her life indirectly so once again it makes me question how much he's influenced her growing up and maybe kind of how she has this dark side, this dark streak. And I don't, I wonder if that's part of what she kind of realizes when she gets angry and storms out on him. What do you think here? Why did she leave so angrily when they seem to kind of have a connection? I mean, she obviously she knew about the dead body and she knows this guy isn't the best guy in the world and he's an awful but, person. So, well, but when has she ever been, I mean, she doesn't seem like the kind of person that's attracted to goody goodies, you know? I no, mean, but exactly she did she, say when she was on her drug, chemo drug, she talked about how she wanted to have, have love. She wanted to have a partner. She wanted to have someone there at the end with her. Well, and he said, and he basically tells her though, that he, he's, he could be that person for, her. right. But he's not, I mean, he's, he's so broken and he's a ghost. <laughs> Who you can apparently have sex with. <laughs> well, I yeah, he's he's a, a physical being. I mean, well, I don't know that he's fully dead because, I, you know, he was killed in such a way last episode with the knives. Almost makes me think that he, I mean, we I've talked about with some people, um, that he was like, he wasn't killed exactly. He was like enchanted. Because remember she was going through the tarot cards and they kind of did the ceremonial stabbing of him. He was kind of trapped in some sort of weird purgatory that just left him as a cre- as a spirit alive in the house. So I think it's different than being, you know, dead like Kyler Madison. Because clearly he doesn't have necessarily... I mean, he's still empty in some way, but I think he's more emotionally empty, whereas they are like empty zombie vessels that need to be filled. I don't know. But we go from here. Fiona, you know, goes home and is popping pills and her hair's falling out even more. Uh, she's super self-conscious, obviously, about her hair falling out. Uh, can't bring herself to shave her head. I, that was I an know. interesting scene too, where like, whoa, she about to take charge of her uh, destiny here, and she gets pretty close, but nope, she's too vain. I think her vanity. I agree, her vanity is too strong. She can't overcome that. It's her biggest weakness, as we've realized. And she ends up going back to the sax man after all, and she goes and watches. He's back in the club. Yeah, he got his gig back real quickly. Oh, yeah. Same place. Same club, even. <laughs> he's back playing the sax. No one's wondered where he's been for the past... 150 sex. years. <laughs> yeah. Fiona... By, or 100 know, years, I guess. ...is watching him buys him a drink. So I guess we're learning that she she's okay with everything he's done and is potentially ready to start a relationship with this guy. Maybe, where do you think this is going? Yeah, maybe she sees herself as completely broken and not this... You know, she, she still doesn't want to shave her head, but she does see that she's not... Maybe this is the best that she's going to be able to get right now at this point in her life, at toward the end of her life. 
Well, and she clearly needs an ally at this point going forward because she's going to be her against the world pretty quick here. That's the other thing and, that happens at the end of this episode is all these alliances start being formed and we're seeing where people's allegiance lies and their loyalty lies. Yeah, we're kind of forming a triangle here. Mm-hmm. And that's not even accounting for the mysterious person who burnt out Cordelia's eyes. So it could we could have four different kind of alliances here. But yeah, you're right. They're kind of... So Axeman and Fiona are kind of becoming a team essentially now. Um, and we kind of end it here. So Now let's get now, to the best storyline in the whole episode. Right. I, I agree with you. I think this is the most compelling storyline of this episode. And we're, of course, talking about Queenie and Madame LaLaurie. Love it. Starting out, of course, in the kitchen, where they have spent so much of their time in the kitchen. They have. Um, they're hungry, but the pantry's all out of food because Madison was <laughs> binging and trying to, feel, trying to feel something from eating, which... I do it all the time. <laughs> hasn't. <laughs> Uh, so they're pretty hungry, so they end up going to the drive-thru. I love this scene so up. much. It's so funny. It's cute. It's hilarious. And, and these two are super great hard. together. It's funny, and it's it's kind of got that campy feel to it. Like I'm thinking movies where you you know you take odd couple know, a character at a time. Well, like even like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure or something, where you have characters that don't fit in the time. You know, you oh. bring them back to at a yeah. time period, and they're like, it's such, "What is this? Conf- what is this confounded drive-through? This food yeah. is the most delicious Where's, thing I've ever tasted. No wonder you're so fat." Yeah, I mean, yeah. Like, Where is that voice coming from? They're, they're, yeah, it's great. I mean, and, and we complained, or I complained at the beginning. It's like, God, I hope they don't talk about how Trump, they're going to try to teach Delphine Lolari how to do Twitter or Facebook or anything like that. But like a drive-through, that's it's such a simple thing, but it also serves its purpose, which makes us like the two of them and like the two of them together and see that they're bonding with each other. Mm-hmm. And we have this great line from uh, Queenie here that she says uh, that she dra- I dragged my ass from Detroit to be with my witch sisters. Then here I'm sitting in a parking lot at 3 a.m. with an immortal racist. Yeah, that's <laughs> that great. Was that was great. Well composed line. But then, of course, but she introduces the this, fact about you know why these. I mean, she basically introduces racism and this whole tribal culture. Mm-hmm. And La Lorie says, you know, they'll never see you as a sister because. You're black. And this seems to all of a sudden, like... Change. Queenie seems shocked by that. Like, it seems like Queenie had never thought of it this way before. Um, But up until this point, I don't really feel like anyone's treated Queenie all that badly. They brought her back to life. I mean, yeah, Madison's a bitch, for instance, but she's a bitch to everyone. And so is Fiona. I mean... I don't think... I mean, I don't think she's faced racism within the house, but, I mean... she She was in Detroit. She came down to the South. I'm sure she's experienced it in life. Right. Well, it may not even be necessarily a racism thing as much as it may not be that they are being mean to her or, you know, outwardly expressing racism in any kind of way as much as she just does not feel a connection with them. You know, they everyone kind of has their own interests and is doing their own thing. There isn't really this coven feel to the group yet. They don't feel like a cohesive group, whereas Lala is kind of basically without meaning to saying, you know, you won't feel like you fit in until you're with your you know, with Laveau and her, the group, tribe, the, the tribal the culture. Exactly. Which, I hate that. Like you have to be with people you like, but that's what the idea they're introducing. I was thinking about this earlier too. We don't really have any like super tight bonds between people in any of these seasons. I mean, we have fleeting moments where people have loyalty, but you know, it changes so drastically, especially I was thinking last season where the, you know, everyone's trying to figure out how to escape and get out and they're, People pair up, but then they turn on each other, and then they 
pair up with other people and then they turn on each other and then some people die and, and whatnot. And same with the, with murder house, the, which is the polar opposite of what Falchuk and Murphy do in Glee, which is, I mean, it is all about loyalty to your, like your people and your core and you know, your, your misfit group, not based on who you look like and where you belong and what, where you come from. It's just interesting that American Horror Story is very um, dark and bleak in that sense of finding a family uh, of any sort, whether it be blood or uh, friends. They really definitely embrace this theme of isolation mm-hmm. and of feeling alone in the world and struggling to connect with others and failing and, yeah, like you said, backstabbing and um, not really being able to trust anybody. Kind of this constant feeling of paranoia, which in its own way is... Uh, a version of an American horror story. You know, we all kind of feel sometimes this um, inability to trust other people and this kind of isolation and loneliness. Right. The closest thing we have to uh, a bond and a friendship is these two people who have the polar opposite <laughs> backgrounds and in any other world, every world should hate each other. But for some reason, they're they're bonding. For now. And let's, so let's fast forward here. <laughs> Um, La Lori's comments kind of uh, end up making Queenie go meet up with Madame Laveau. I wrote down, called it. We knew that mm-hmm. that would happen, right? Yeah, because of the, the 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 that common ancestor that Queenie had, right? Uh, Tituba, yeah, who was Tituba, a, yeah. She's in the um, the what's the Salem Witch Trial movie? I'm trying to think of. Uh, the Crucible. She. That's. A, I mean, you, she's portrayed in The Crucible, and yeah, or sorry, the book, <laughs> the movie, <laughs> the book, The Crucible, or the play too. Yeah, she's. Yeah, the play. Um, she's an. I mean, she's a character. I don't know if she's a historical figure, or just a character from the play. But this, yeah, voodoo slave woman, who they're all supposedly descended from. Um, and in this sequence, we basically have Laveau telling Queenie. That LaLaurie is a terrible person. You should ask her what more she's done. And you can come stay with us if you bring me LaLaurie. And so Queenie doesn't seem quite sure about this at first. She goes home and she asks LaLaurie about what's the worst thing she's done. That she wants a true friend and won't trust a true, true friend until they you know, are honest about their past. She asks the question here that you have been asking me since since I started kind of liking uh, Lulari and that the audience is being asked this question too. What is the worst thing that you've done? And can, once we find this out, can we still be friends? Can we forgive it? And mm-hmm. so I want you walk us through the scene of what we have this flashback. What happens in the flashback? Right. So um, they have the kitchen maid come in and she's carving a little piece of meat for uh, Lulari's husband. And mm-hmm. so this he, is back in the his, day, the 1830s. Yeah, he's got his hand on her ass, uh, and Lilari asked her, "So I heard you just had a little baby," and she's like, "Yeah, four days ago." Uh, the the slave says, and she's like, "What What do you think of the name?" And uh, the husband says, "I like. I think Pierre is a great name." And Lilari says something along the lines of, "Yes, I heard the baby has a very pale complexion." And so, obviously, I mean, even before then, we already got the hint, I think, just the way that the husband was looking at the slave. And she, and he's and, squeezing her butt. Yeah, and his hand's on her ass. And the uh-huh. Lulari says, well, you know, my with um, um, 
um, Borkita serving her punishment right now. I need a new handmaid. Will you come up and help me do my beauty regimen this evening? And then they go up there and she's Laurie's putting her little makeup mask stuff on and she's like, do you know what this is? It's a secret thing. And she's like, it looks like blood. And she's like, you're not stupid. It is. And she says something along the lines of, and you may have written this down. I didn't write this down, but it, like something about youth begetting youth and hinting uh, or implying that her baby is dead and Lolari's putting her baby's blood all over her face to stay young. And then we, right. f- then we find yeah. out the next morning. I mean, the, obviously the, the slave is who had just had the baby. She's in utter shock. She's mortified and find out the next morning. She apparently uh, threw herself off the balcony and killed herself. Right. And I mean, we even have her, you know, Lava, or Lalaurie Lava says at the end of this whole speech, like, you won't need to be naming that baby after all or something like that. And like, we've seen Lalaurie do some pretty terrible shit. And killing a baby. This is this is the worst of it, really. This is pretty, pretty horrifying. And so and then back we, to modern day. Right. We have. Queenie's she's like that's messed up obviously disgusted obviously disgusted and Lalaurie says you know I'm changing that was a different it wasn't just a different time it was a different world yeah she's like I'm learning and she she has tears in her eyes she looks very genuine <laughs> so it sounds like you're still I'm still on board with her you're on team Lalaurie here yeah um so you're feeling bad for her at this point well, I'm not feeling bad for her. I'm feeling that she is trying to be different. And so I guess the question that we ask ourselves at this point, and the question that Queenie is asking herself is, is it enough? Do I, is, is this enough to turn is, her? Is, is there, well, is there such thing? Is, can you commit such horrific, I mean, can you is be it forgiven? possible, is it possible to be forgiven no matter what your crime? Right. Yeah, exactly. And I, I don't think we could ever forgive her. I mean, it'll take like a super Christian to forgive what Lulari did. But I can see and understand that someone is trying to change. And I can see, I mean, she was locked in a box underground for a hundred years or whatever that <laughs> that's, that's pretty big punishment. That's as she said, that's worse than death. Right. It... So it's not like she hasn't gone unpunished. She has gone punished, but obviously she needs to be punished way more. And as we've said, we think her storyline will probably culminate in some ultimate sacrifice that will give her a sliver of redemption, but not complete redemption. Because there's there's no way. Mm-hmm. After doing you know, all I, that stuff. I have an inner debate. You know, I... I Part of me, like, yeah, you want to feel bad for her, but then they cut, show us this awful, awful scene, and there's just the stuff that she did. And it's like, I don't know if we I can forgive her for having been such this this terrible terrible person so i mean she's been good to queenie though and she's and she's helped her and she's defended her and queenie's saved they've saved each other's lives it's true um i you know i would like our listeners to weigh in on this and post on our facebook and send us emails at this american horror story at gmail.com let us know uh i mean this is you're just basically asking everyone to email in and call me a big fat pussy because that's that's what's no, going to happen. I know that's I'm just happen. saying. No, 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 I'm just saying. You know, you can take either. You can please you can someone even have, have a balanced side. <laughs> can can you forgive Lori? Is it is it possible to forgive? I mean, you know, she is trying. How? What are you? I just want to know how people are feeling about Lori at this 
at Lollerie at this point because I think it's interesting. I you know there I think that Brad Falchuk and Ryan Murphy are trying to make us ask this question of ourselves. I think that they're you know they're putting us in this kind of ethical dilemma. Um, and so, I mean, I think that you and I embody both sides of it. And I know that I am debating on my own part about how I feel about this, and you are too. So I want to know if everybody is feeling the same way and kind of what your feelings are about this dynamic. Because I think it's, it's really interesting, I think, what they're trying to do as, you know, show creators here with this storyline um, and their relationship dynamic here. But obviously, Queenie doesn't feel like it's enough because she turns, Takes you know, she get a haircut. Look, yep, at Madame Laveau's salon. I know when that when I saw him walk there, I was like, ah, oh, damn. All right. Mm-hmm. I thought we had two friends, but no. And so Laveau shows up. They cage Madame Lalaurie, and Laveau gives Queenie uh, first cut of like a little mini sickle. <laughs> mm-hmm. First cut of. Um, Lalaurie, which is the same thing she used to make her blood face moisturizer. So, and then our final scene is mm-hmm. Marie Laveau putting that little, the little, uh, the makeup applicator thing into blood and putting it all over her face. For, we got like, like 30 or 40 seconds of her just putting oh, it on yeah. her face. Lalaurie, look- yeah, she's putting Lalaurie's blood on her face. Yeah. So, this has a lot going, I mean, and we have the tribal music going in the background. Um, I've got a lot. I've got a couple things I want to ask you about this, but I guess I want to ask you what you think this scene was meant to represent. Just the, uh, just turning of the tables. Next question. <laughs> what do you oh, think? I, I had a couple different notions about it, and I mean, correct me if you don't feel the same way. First thing I was thinking is we have, uh, yeah, obviously the turning of the tables, and we see Laveau almost choreo- you know choreographing the same brush motion of the blood on her face of this white woman's blood on her face as La Lorie did with her oh, stripes back in the day really like do you remember the, when under she the takes chin? the blood she starts under the uh, chin I didn't see that. that okay it's it's almost it's almost identical even the way she's like moving her face and stuff when she's painting her face and so i think it's definitely symbolic of turning of the tails but i also think that maybe what they're trying to say is like yeah, Lalaurie did terrible things, but Laveau is not necessarily any better than Lalaurie in the end. She's just, I mean, you know she what I mean? She just hasn't killed as many people. Yeah, but she's, I mean, she's doing terrible things too. She's not rising above these terrible things this woman did. She's, I mean, she's very vengeful, you know? She's a better so, lady. She is a very bitter lady. Also, with the tribal music, it definitely reminded me of War Paint, kind of mm-hmm. in the background. Yeah, and that's, especially that's a great one. Yeah, I didn't think of that. So you have kind of the War Paint tribal, um, War Paint uh, tribal music going on. And the last thing I said, the last image we get when she looks up to the camera is I get I think I get the feeling that we're looking into like you know we are a mirror or something looking back at her because that's why she looks up at us. I kind of got the feeling because you know she looks right into the camera mm-hmm. at the end. It so I feel like we're our. Yeah, so our perspective is coming from the mirror. Um, did you notice how light one fi- side of her face is and how dark the other one is? How Mm-mm. the lighting was very particular at the end here, where the left side of her face was lit up and the right side of her face was completely dark, kind of like a yin and yang cool. thing going on here. It was very cool lighting. I don't know if I know what it means. Do you have? Any Are you sure it wasn't any? just your TV? 
It might have just been my TV. That's quite possible. Um, I thought it looked cool regardless, so if it was just my TV, that was a cool effect. But I don't know what to make of it, but I didn't think that was cool. I think you're, yeah, I think if that's what it was, then you're on the, yeah, I agree with that. Perhaps we're supposed to see that, you know, white and black in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, obviously. And blood is blood. It's all, blood's all the same color. That's a good, oh, I like that. That's a good point. Uh, anyway, so final thoughts on this episode and rating. I mean, tell me what you think. Okay, I think Kyle's still boring. I think um, I think that Axeman and Fiona's storyline in this one was really slowed down a lot compared to what we've dealt with the first six episodes. We really slowed down there, which kind of... I don't know how I felt about when we slow down for exposition and uh, with especially with Jessica Lang, it's pretty awesome. But this felt a little too long to spend time with her and Axeman to get the same argument over and over. Like, no, I won't sleep with you. Yes, I will. No, I won't. How do you know me? That's how you know me. Okay, I hate you. No, I love you. It was, I, I was supposed to get her wrestling with this decision to be with him. So I just thought that was a little too long. That being said, I also loved the whole Queenie and uh Lilari uh uh that their storyline I thought was the strongest it was interesting two characters we don't we haven't seen a ton from and to see them spend time together and uh finally at least even even though Delphine Lilari is a awful awful evil person in the past that they're, they're actually helping us try to care about certain people I don't care about a lot of the other characters like I do these two right now. And I do feel a little awkward about them now, like kind of turning on each other. Well, Queenie having turned on uh, her slave. <laughs> uh, so I, I would give this, um, I would give this three, three and three quarters, three and three quarters. Mm, I was three and a half, but then after talking about so much with, about the, about this last storyline, it, it brought me up a quarter. So what, what, what are your thoughts? I have had a very similar experience where I was going to say after immediately watching the episode, I was kind of frustrated. Yeah. Because I was kind of thinking like, uh, you know, I did, wasn't a big fan of the cold open. Mm-hmm. Um, I really didn't like where the, I hated how the Kyle, Zoe, Madison storyline ended in the threesome. Yeah. It just seemed so out of place. Um, but after talking about some of this stuff and talking about that potentially is kind of turning the Starcrest lover trope on its head and discussing more the Lalari and Queenie relationship and how that's interesting um, and kind of, you know, there's a lot of different takes on standard tropes in this episode, which I don't think I gave enough credence to when I first watched the episode. So I respect that more. I do. Th- I agree with you that I think the Fiona and Axeman um, storyline was... Drug on. It was drug on. And that was probably... Yeah. Um, so what do you give it? I was going to give it a two and a half. Whoa! Oh my god, that's so low. Holy cow. Because I was really not happy. I'm going to give it a three, though, because okay. I I was really... I was not happy coming out of it, but after we talk about it and we unwrapped a little bit more, um, I'm feeling a little bit better about it. So I give The Dead a 2.5. You give it a three, three and three quarters. Three quarters. So Man, let's ours. see if I can get my math right. So we're looking at a... Five, six, six and, and a quarter. quarter. Mm-hmm. Six and a quarter. <laughs> so probably not a, whatever. What did we Just have the last hooks. week? I forget. Last week we weren't too happy either. 
No, there was yeah, the, it was the two zombie episodes we super were into, and yeah. then I feel like uh, maybe those are just so good that these are yeah. just a little bit weaker now. But hopefully, we've got some good stuff coming. It um, seems we give higher scores when our our cast is not paired off and split up, and we're all kind of more together with each other. That's I agree. We, I don't I don't like when it's like three separate storylines like this. Kind of it's. It seems too disparate. Um, mm-hmm. And so, coming up, we've got uh, potentially Queenie helping out Lalaurie and maybe questioning her decision-making here. Right. That's great. I like, s- I like seeing that. We do mm-hmm. not feed the animals, is yeah. what Laveau says in the preview. Ugh. And then we see, of course, Cordelia, Zoe, and oh. company trying to kill Fiona. And we see her with her hair gone, so her mm-hmm. hair does fall out, we find out. Um, and she kind of has the turban thing on her head, just like Laveau does sometimes. So that's kind of interesting, too. Right. Um, and you're right. Mer- I put the return of Myrtle. So Myrtle and Misty we have coming back, too. So maybe we'll have some more group kind of... Uh, it looks like the hooded figure that threw the, um, the acid on uh, Cordelia shows up at Misty's place in the bayou. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I didn't see that part. It, lo- it looked well, that like that, so... That'd well, be cool. yeah, I would like to get some answers on that. It's it's kind of been a while now, so I think we're coming right. Uh, last thing, props to the director uh, Bradley Bucher or Bucher uh, Bucker Bucher, I think he uh, just especially for that sequence where we see uh, uh, Fiona age. I thought that was pretty cool. That was really well done. That was very cool. Um, excellent. Well, once again, as always, we'd like to remind everybody to check us out now on. Facebook of the American Horror Story Podcast. Check us out on um, Stitcher at this American Horror Story Podcast. Uh, please send us questions, comments, anything you'd like to say at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. And finally, check us out on iTunes. Rate us, review us, critique us. We appreciate all that kind of stuff. My friend Chris, where can people find more of your, uh, your work this week? Twitter, uh, at Chris Husted. Chris with a K. Tyler, where are you? Find me online on Twitter at TJMoss11. So we, are, we won't see or talk to you guys in uh, two weeks because there is no episode next week. Our next episode is December 4th, I believe. So everyone have a really happy and safe Thanksgiving. Absolutely. Happy hauntings. Have a happy and safe Thanksgiving. And uh, we'll be excited to tune in with you in two weeks. All Bye. Right. Gobble, gobble. <laughs> <laughs> Toto, play us out. Yeah. <laughs>